Let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Starting with the talk last Monday, so the talks of this week reflect the fact that this three-month retreat is soon going to end. And so, with these talks, we widen the horizon a little bit, and it's not so much only uh, regarding intensive meditation practice, but showing uh, other ways of how we can apply the Buddha's teaching in our day-to-day lives. And so, today, I'm going to talk about how we can deal with negativity. The teachings of the Buddha show different ways of how we can uh, realize or uh, work towards a clear, serene, happy and liberated mind. And I think this is what we all all are yearning for. But despite our serious efforts, we are still some way off the final goal. And so instead of having just a very clear, peaceful, pure, liberated mind, very often our minds are overcome with ill will, with aversion, with frustration, with jealousy, resentment, blame, depression, depression, and so on. And so all these different uh, unwholesome mental states, they lead to a negativity which then is like a dark shadow hanging over us. And it's like a gloomy shadow that disturbs the way we look at the world and very often because of this gloomy shadow it also leads to unskillful reactions. And so the initial negativity is one thing, one layer of dukkha And then if you fall prey to unwholesome reactions, with that we create another layer of dukkha. And so then it's like a vicious circle that pulls us down further and further into a bottomless abyss of suffering and despair. 
sometimes we become painfully aware of our unwholesome mental states, painfully aware of our negativity, and so then the desire to get away from this negativity arises. Even though we realize that there is either resentment or anger or frustration in our mind, but yet the mind doesn't let go of very easily of these unwholesome or negative uh, states. It's like an unseen and mysterious force is holding on to this negativity or anger. Although this negativity, the anger, the resentment feels uncomfortable, although it makes us uh, distressed, but somehow the mind doesn't let go of it very easily. The basic and primary cause for this is the fact that there is ignorance, not seeing things as they really are. And so in this deluded view, people think that there is a person or me, a self, that um, is feeling depressed or angry or full of resentment. And because it's to this person that it is happening, so then there is identification with it. So it's happening to me, I, and so uh, full of despair, or I am so angry. And as long as there is this notion of somebody, me, myself, and as long as there is the notion of other bodies, you, those, they, so as long as we are caught in this uh, wrong notion, as long happiness and peace, liberation will elude us. Generally, our negativity has two, two causes or two sources. And one is an external source that something external can trigger uh, an unwholesome negative mental state. So, for examples for this could be the abusive words of another person or somebody jumping the queue in the supermarket or decisions made by the government that we are not happy with or can be the disturbing noise from a meditator or simply not getting the job that we wanted and so on. So these are external causes or sources that can trigger our uh, negativity. And another source or cause for our negativity, unwholesome mental states, are uh, internal sources. 
So this can be remembering an incident from many, many years ago. And by remembering so, we get again, again upset or frustrated or angry. Or it can simply be uh, impatience arising in the meditation practice when things are not happening the way we want them to happen. Or it could be the worries that we don't meet up the expectations of our boss at work. So whether it's these external causes or the internal causes, ultimately the cause for negativity to arise in our minds is never to be found outside of us. In other words, the primary cause is always within us. It's this basic ignorance or delusion This is this kind of unseen and mysterious force or delusion, ignorance, are the demons that uh, manifest as negative thoughts in our minds. The Buddha was clearly aware that people again and again fall prey to their negative thoughts and emotions. And on various occasions, the Buddha gave teachings on how to deal with uh, negative thoughts, unwholesome emotions. And sometimes it was the way he was living his life, the way he was dealing uh, with people that were a teaching uh, in itself. So I want to read you a passage from a sutta found in the Samyutta Nikaya that illustrates how the Buddha uh, dealt with uh, a person who was abusing him. Once, while the Buddha was dwelling at Rajagaha in the bamboo grove, there lived at Rajagaha a Brahmin of the Bharadvaja clan, who was later called the Reviler. When he learned that one of his clan had gone forth from home life and had become a monk under the recluse Gotama, he was angry and displeased. And in that mood, he went to see the Blessed One, and having arrived, he reviled and abused him with rude and harsh words. When he had finished speaking, the Buddha said to him, How is it, Brahmin? Do you sometimes receive visits from friends, relatives, or other guests? Yes, Master Gotama, I sometimes have visitors. When they come, do you offer them some food or a snack? Yes, I sometimes do so. But if, Brahmin, your visitors do not accept what you offer, to whom does it belong? 
Well, Master Gautama, if they do not accept it from me, these things remain with us. It is just so in this case, Brahmin. You revile us who do not revile in return. You scold us who do not scold in return. You abuse us who do not abuse in return. So we do not accept it from you, and hence it remains with you. It belongs to you, Brahmin. So in this story, the, the Brahmin's anger was triggered by the fact that one of his clansmen had become a monk under the Buddha. So that Brahmin was not happy at all that uh, one of his clan had gone to the other side because that was different belief what the Buddha uh, taught a bit contrary to what the Brahmins believed in and that Brahmin might have also been jealous uh, of the Buddha but anyway his anger grew so strong and intense that he could no longer retain it and so he went to the Buddha and aired it out Let's consider how most of the people would react in such a situation. Most likely, people would retaliate with equally harsh and abusive words because that's just the habitual, ingrained habit of the mind. It seems so obvious, like the, the angry words of the other person um, need to be retaliated with an equal amount of harsh and abusive words. And it's because the ego, the untrained mind, finds it more than justified to give back the anger that it has received and usually to give back a little bit more is what the ego wants to do. And by doing so, the self, the ego, is boosted. That's what it feeds on. So it gets a good feed. And so the ego is happy and satisfied about doing, uh, doing it. And by doing so, Naturally, it can strengthen its position. It's because these negative uh, mental states, negative emotions, are ego boosters. They boost the ego, and that—that that is why it's so difficult to let go of them. The untrained mind does not let easily go of them. They boost the ego. They uh, give a sense of satisfaction to the ego. And so uh, the mind, the untrained mind, holds on to this negativity. Although it feels uncomfortable, but still the 
satisfaction that the ego derives from it is still greater and that's why the ego holds on to these uh, negative mental states. In the case of the Buddha, however, he was no longer uh, clinging or believing to an independently existing entity or self. And so hearing these angry words of the Brahmin, he did not identify these words with himself. But he was very clearly aware that these angry words of the Brahmin were just the manifestation of the Brahmin's anger, which had basically nothing to do with the Buddha. It had to do with the Brahmin's anger. So, these negative mental states, unwholesome uh, emotions arising, as we have um, come to see, that in Vipassana meditation, when unwholesome mental states arise, the most direct and straightforward way to deal with them is to be aware of them, to note them, to mindfully acknowledge them. But now I want to mention a few other ways of how we can deal with negativity. And um, especially in our day-to-day lives, these ways or some of these ways might be more helpful or more appropriate in a given situation. So, the first of these ways of dealing with negativity is to determine that we would not let uh, arise a negative mental state. You know, many times it's almost unavoidable that we come in contact with persons or situations that uh, usually trigger uh, negativity to arise in our mind. Like from our previous experience, we kind of know in which situations or in meeting which persons we very quickly fall into negativity. And so, then, in a quiet time, we can reflect about this story of the Buddha and then make a determination, saying that meeting that and that person or coming in such a situation that we determine not to let negativity arise in our mind. And, of course, There are different levels of determination or our determination can have different levels of strength. In the beginning it's maybe not yet so strong and our determination may not work in all cases. But as we get better at it, then we can stick to our determination or have so much mindfulness that in that particular situation, we do not let arise any negativity. 
in our mind. When we bring it to perfection or to near perfection, then um, we will be able to stick to our determination even under the most trying circumstances. Like um, this Tibetan refugee. This Tibetan refugee, he was in a Chinese gulag work prison for 18 years. And when he finally managed to escape from the gulag and um, was able to escape to India, he went to Dharamsala to where the Dalai Lama lives. And so um, he had the chance to meet the Dalai Lama. And so he told him uh, that the last 18 years he had been uh, living in this Chinese gulag. And he mentioned that a few times during these 18 years there were some dangers. And the Dalai Lama thought that these were kind of external dangers, dangers to his life or danger of, uh, to his body. But the refugee said that these dangers were the moments when he feared to lose compassion for the Chinese. So he was very determined not to let arise any negativity in his mind, not to let arise any unwholesome uh, thoughts towards the Chinese. Then another way of dealing with negativity is to avoid that thing, situation, or a person who normally triggers negativity to arise in our mind. So this method is quite obvious in its strategy. Simply try to avoid uh, what usually triggers negativity in your mind, if it's possible uh, to avoid. If it's not possible to avoid such a situation, then resort to one of the other ways of dealing with negativity. So for example, if you find it very stressful to do your shopping in a huge uh, supermarket or shopping center with all the assaults on the senses, all the ads and the promotions and people maniacally living there with carts with heaps of food, then maybe it would be better to avoid going to the supermarket and do your shopping in a local grocery store. Even if you pay a little bit more, but to have uh, less assaults to the senses, to your mind, and falling less prey to negativity, it would be well worth paying a little bit more. Or, if you cannot, if you cannot resist the temptation of the delicious ice cream that they sell on the corner of 
Craving Street and Indulgence Avenue, then maybe better to avoid that part of town and not go there. So, if we can avoid those persons or objects or situations that usually cause negativity negativity to arise, then not having this negativity uh, coming up, our mind stays calm, happy, or peaceful. Then another way to deal with negativity is to change the object or to shift one's attention. So when encountering an object, situation, a person, not so much with persons, but when encountering an object uh, that usually causes negativity to arise, then one could simply ignore that object and intentionally shift the mind to something wholesome or pleasurable, something that causes wholesome uh, mental state to arise. And traditionally, it's that one should shift one's mind uh, and take the triple gem as an object reflecting on the Buddha or the Dhamma or the Sangha. Or one could shift one's mind to think about one's generosity or to think about one's pure morality or to think about uh, one's supportive wholesome deeds that one has done by helping out in a monastery or in a meditation center or by helping in an old folks home or by doing some work in a hospice. So one simply pulls away the mind from that object which would um, lead to an unwholesome mental state and shift one's attention to Uh, something wholesome. Then another uh, way of dealing with negativity is to deliberately engage in any wholesome action. If we deliberately engage in a wholesome action, And usually that makes the mind clear, serene, happy, delighted or joyful. Then it's much more difficult for negative mental states to arise, to enter our mind. And so actually this way, engaging in some wholesome activities is a way of preventing unwholesome mental states from arising. In Buddhism, there are three bases for wholesome actions. And these three bases are the practices of generosity, 
Dana, then Sila, morality, and Bhavana, uh, meditation, mental development. And actually, in my talk on Friday night, I'm going to talk about these three bases of wholesome actions. So, any kinds of actions which are connected to these three basic uh, wholesome activities are considered wholesome beneficial actions. And so engaging in any of these actions, usually then the mind is in a wholesome state, filled with happiness or joy or delight or the mind is serene and peaceful. And so with that, it's uh, difficult for negative mental states to arise. So we try to prevent them from arising in the first place. So deliberately engaging in something wholesome could be uh, making some cookies for the charity bazaar that they have in town. So from the moment when we uh, have the idea of making these cookies, then go and buy the necessary ingredients and making them and packing them and bringing them to the place where the charity bazaar is held. So this keeps us uh, happy and delighted in a wholesome mental state. Or we could simply uh, read a Dhamma book or listen to a Dhamma talk. Uh, Then also our mind will be in a wholesome state. Deliberately engaging in a wholesome action, like the most beneficial and actually the highest activity that we can engage in is the practice of meditation. And this could either be Samatha meditation or Vipassana meditation. Like in Samatha meditation, we try to concentrate on one single object to make our mind focused and concentrated. And when the mind becomes focused, concentrated on this object, then <coughs> sense of happiness, even joy or bliss can arise. And during that time, unwholesome mental states are kept at bay. They have a hard time to enter a deeply concentrated uh, mind. And so, temporarily, we can... Uh, keep the negativity outside. In Vipassana meditation, we apply mindfulness to whatever arises in our body and mind. And as we have seen in the talks on the Bojangas, mindfulness is this very basic quality that we need to develop so that other mental factors can uh, arise and that we can develop them and that they have the chance to perform their functions. 
because ultimately in Vipassana meditation we aim at understanding, we aim at developing wisdom, of getting a deep understanding how these processes in the body and mind work, deep understanding to see what causes our unsatisfactoriness and suffering, and so to finally abandon uh, all the causes for our dissatisfaction, and so come to a state where we become free from suffering, and freedom of suffering is peace and happiness. And so, with the practice of Vipassana meditation, we cannot only keep negativity, uh, unwholesome mental states at bay, or suppress them, as Samatha meditation does, but with that uh, wisdom and understanding, we can completely eradicate all these unwholesome negative mental states. And when they are completely eradicated, they can no longer arise. So that's um, the ultimate happiness and peace of liberation. In our day-to-day lives, when we are not uh, uh, in an intensive meditation retreat, then there are many moments throughout the day where our mind is unguarded. And it's very often in these moments when the mind picks some object and then negative mental states arise. And so then the mind becomes filled with negativity. So if we do not let the mind unguarded, but instead deliberately engage in a wholesome activity or keep the mind occupied with something uh, wholesome, then uh, the chances for negativity, unwholesome thoughts or emotions to arise becomes much smaller. And so not to let the mind unguarded means to either Uh, maintain mindfulness, or uh, if our work allows uh, to do that, we can occupy the mind with, let's say, the recitation of some metta phrases that will keep it in a wholesome place, or uh, in the scriptures it said, you know, uh, keep reciting the attributes of the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And, you know, depending where we are, depending what kind of work we have to do, we can either do this recitation silently in the mind, or when we are alone and not uh, disturbing other people, this recitation could even be done aloud. Then another way of dealing with uh, negativity 
is to resort to loving-kindness practice, metta uh, practice, uh, arousing thoughts of kindness, of benevolence, of friendliness. And as we have come to see in the course of this retreat, metta is this quality of wishing other beings to be happy and well. It's this benevolent, friendly attitude towards all living beings. And as we have seen, metta is the opposite of dosa. So when there is metta present in the heart, in the mind, then at the same time there cannot be dosa. So then anger, ill will, aversion, hatred cannot be present in the mind at that time. And as we have seen, genuine uh, metta is also free from any forms of loba, any forms of uh, attachment or clinging, wanting, desire or expectation. And so having the heart, the mind filled with thoughts of metta, loving-kindness, then the mind is actually quite pure. No negativity caused by uh, dosa or loba. Resorting to uh, loving-kindness can also be used in the case of uh, changing the object which I mentioned uh, before. So simply dropping the object that normally would give rise to negativity or if negativity has already arisen. So uh, consciously shifting the mind, our attention to another object. And so it could also be changed or shifted to metta, to loving-kindness. Another way to deal with negativity, especially with aversion, hatred, anger, ill will, and so on, is to resort to a number of reflections. So, one kind of reflection that we can do is along the lines to reflect that these negative Uh, thoughts are first and foremost harming ourselves because of having these unwholesome mental states uh, we are harming ourselves uh, with these mental states and so when somebody else is Uh, using harsh, abusive words or is inflicting physical suffering to us, hitting us, Uh, then we can reflect that that person actually first and foremost hurts her or himself with these abusive words or even uh, physical harmful deeds. And so then we can reflect that even if that person is 
engaging in these uh, unwholesome actions, we should not let ourselves come down to that point where we uh, react with an equally base uh, reaction, like uh, not let ourselves uh, be dragged into unwholesome thoughts or speech or even actions. Another line of reflection uh, goes along these lines. Reflecting that all things are impermanent. We have seen and experienced for ourselves that everything in our body and mind changes very instantly. That there is nothing that lasts or uh, that is permanent. And with our sharp and penetrating mindfulness, we have come to see that these bodily processes and mental states, they change very quickly. They change very momentarily. It's like moments of uh, bodily processes arise and disappear, one after the other, relentlessly, very quickly. And so the same in the mind. And so... If another person is angry at us or hits us, then we can reflect that, you know, the the mental processes, like the intention that gave rise to these uh, angry words or the intention that made the other person hit us, these were fleeting, momentary events. And also the speech or the physical actions were very momentary, uh, fleeting moments. And so when the person had said this word or hit you, then what are you angry with? Because the mental processes, the intention to say these angry words and then the physical manifestation, all these mental and physical processes they are no longer existing. They are already gone. So now the person is not talking anymore, is not uh, engaging in any action anymore. So what are you angry with? Like now, the physical and mental processes of this person have completely changed. And so right now, the mental and physical processes of this person do not inflict any harm on you. So why are you angry with these mental and physical processes? Then another line of reflection that we can engage in is uh, the reflection on karma. Karma and its effects. So when we experience something unpleasant, somebody shouting at us or uh, harming us, so then we can reflect that we are the owners of our karma, knowing that karma uh, produces results. And usually karma and the results have the same nature, are of the same nature. And so the cause for this 
uh, harm that he experienced to arise must have been uh, sold by ourselves somewhere in the past. And so there is nobody out there to blame, but we are responsible for our actions and the results of our actions. And so when something unpleasant uh, happens to us, then reflecting on karma and its natural effects or results, then we can be careful of not creating further unwholesome karma by reacting with uh, unwholesome words or harmful actions. So these lines of reflections, you know, uh, done in a quiet moment when we are not overcome with negativity seem to be quite logic. But then out there in a real-life situation, um, still it can be quite difficult and challenging to remember that and then uh, act accordingly. And it's especially difficult and challenging when the harm done to us is really serious or extremely uh, big and outrageous. Last year, uh, I was teaching at the Forest Refuge, part of the IMS uh, Meditation Center in the USA. And in the teacher house where I was staying, there were a number of Buddhist magazines. And one of these magazines is called Tricycle. Maybe you have heard or seen these magazines. And in one of these magazines, it had an article on Venerable Mahakosananda, who had passed away earlier that year. He uh, was a Cambodian uh, monk, and uh, you know later on he lived in the USA. And you know Venerable Mahakosananda, he was a very respected and revered monk, and in the course of his uh, own practice, he had come to see very well that the actual danger is never outside, but that the danger, the demons, are inside, uh, within us. And he knew very well that it's the negative mental states which are responsible for creating so much trouble and misery. And so in that article, um, there was this uh, incident from many years ago when Venerable Mahakosananda visited a refugee camp where thousands of Cambodians had fled from the Holocaust conducted by Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. 
every family had lost children and spouses and fathers and they had lost their homes, their temples, their monasteries had been destroyed. So all these families had um, to suffer big loss and uh, big suffering. And so visiting that refugee camp, Venerable Mahagosananda announced that the following day there would be a Buddhist ceremony and that anyone who wanted to join was welcome. Because Buddhism had been desecrated by Pol Pot, people were wondering if anyone uh, would go to that Buddhist ceremony. But then on the following day, thousands of refugees um, went to that place where this ceremony was going to be held. So it was about 10,000 refugees had come. And in front of that huge place there was a stage and Venerable Mahagosananda was sitting up there, sitting there quietly for a little while. And then he started to chant some Buddhist chants which normally open a Buddhist ceremony. And people hearing these familiar words and sounds simply started to cry. It was so precious to them to hear these familiar words and chants. And of course people wondered what Venerable Mahagosananda was going to say to this group of uh, refugees. What could one possibly say uh, to these people? And so after this uh, opening chant, what he did next was to start to recite one verse of the Dhammapada. It was the verse Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. And Venerable Mahagosananda just uh, repeated this verse over and over again. And remember, these refugees, these people, were people who had as much cause to hate as anyone on earth. Yet, Venerable Mahagosananda sat there chanting this verse again and again. And then, one by one, the refugees started to join him in, the, in reciting this verse. And so then it was thousands of people chanting, hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. Having Venerable Mahagosananda as their strong and respected leader, people could join him in these uh, words. These people must have known in the depths of the heart that this was true and that this was the only possible way to heal their deep wounds, although their rational minds 
still wanted to be angry at Pol Pot and the Khmer, Khmer Rouge. So instead of occupying the mind with thoughts of loving kindness, one can uh, resort to any uh, object of samatha meditation. So one could also resort to the other divine abidings, if we have been practicing them, resort to compassion, or resort to mudita, or resort to upeka, equanimity. Or, again, resorting uh, to the recollection of the attributes of the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Or recollecting one's virtues, recollecting the virtues uh, of the Devas, and so on. So there's no shortage of object, objects that one could resort to. So all these different ways of dealing with negativities are ways of either getting rid of these um, negative mental states or of substituting these negative mental states with something positive or wholesome or ways to prevent negativity from arising in the first place. As I mentioned, the most direct and ultimately most beneficial way to deal with negativity is to deal with it with mindfulness. But to deal with negativity in this direct and straightforward way, we need a certain degree, a certain degree of strong and powerful mindfulness. Because only when the mind is reasonably uh, concentrated and when mindfulness is reasonably strong and powerful is it possible to face this negativity without being swept away by it or without being drowned in this negativity. When the mind is reasonably mindful, clear and concentrated, then this negative mental state will be seen as it is. It will be understood in its true nature. And then we are not identified uh, with this negativity or there is no me-making with this negativity. And so, without identification, without me making, then the powerful mindfulness uh, will dissolve or weaken this negativity and finally it disappears. But even during an intensive retreat, mindfulness is not always so powerful or strong that it 
has this power of uh, facing negativity without being overcome by it. <coughs> and so, instead of being swept away by this negativity or being drowned in this negativity and with that uh, things getting worse, it can be more helpful and wiser uh, to resort to one of these ways of dealing with negativity. So then, in such a situation or moment, we simply acknowledge the fact that we do not have the necessary strength of mindfulness to deal with this negativity directly, and so we can make a conscious decision to deal with it uh, in another way, one of these ways of dealing with negativity. And so then, instead of just habitually uh, pushing away the negativity, we make a conscious decision of kind of putting it to the side for the time being and rather uh, fill the mind with some wholesome mental states. The Buddha always encouraged people not to kill and not to harm others. But one time King Saka, the king of the Tavatinsa Deva realm, asked the Buddha whose killing the Buddha would approve. And so then the Buddha said that he approved the killing of anger. And so to finish this talk, I want to tell you the story of the anger-eating demon. Once there was a demon who lived on a very peculiar diet. He lived on the anger of others. And as this demon's feeding ground was the human world, there was no shortage of food. And so there was plenty of food around and uh, for, he, for this demon it was very easy to uh, make people quarrel or to set up a conflict between groups of people and even to uh, start a war was not very difficult for this demon. And once the war started then Uh, he had plenty to eat because usually war uh, creates a lot of anger uh, between people and even people who are usually friendly uh, can be overcome by anger and so then the demon had to be careful of not overeating and uh, so then he had to restrain himself and just nibble on a little bit of resentment that he could find nearby And so, he was quite successful, and as is the case with successful people, he became a bit overbearing, and in a moment of boredom, he thought, I could try it with the devas. And he reflected, 
uh, in which deva realm he should try it first. And so um, he decided on the Tavatimsa deva realm. And that's the deva realm where uh, Sakha is the king. And so by his power he transformed or he got himself into Tavatimsa Deva realm. And he was lucky to arrive at the moment when King Saka was not in his palace. So he went into the palace and sat on the throne. And there he sat, waiting what was going to happen. And it didn't take long when some devas uh, came to the throne room and they were shocked to see this ugly and smelly demon sitting there on the throne. And so they went up to him and said, how, dare, how can you dare to sit on the throne of our beloved King Saka? Get down from the throne. And the demon was sitting there grinning and they were getting more upset and angry. Come down, come down. Uh, get away with you. And the demon had a good feet <laughs> and was growing, <coughs> getting bigger. And the devas <coughs> getting more and more upset. And the demon had already grown so big that his head was almost touching the ceiling. And by that time, King Saka entered the room. And even as he saw this huge, uh, smelly demon sitting on the throne, King Saka was not shocked. He did not get upset because King Saka uh, had already realized the Dhamma, like his Dhamma eye was open, which means that he was uh, a stream enter, a Sotapanna. And so King Saka quietly uh, walked up to the throne and very friendly and courteously uh, knelt on one of his knee and greeted the demon saying, Welcome my friend, how nice that you have come visiting me uh, here in the palace. I'm really happy to have you here. You know, don't come down from the throne. I can take another chair and sit next to you. And as King Saka was speaking these friendly, kind words, the demon started to shrink and become uh, smaller. And King Saka, still being genuinely hospitable and friendly, said, well, you know, uh, you must be thirsty. Can I offer you a cup of coffee? Or would you prefer a cup of tea? Or maybe some juice? And the demon was getting smaller, shrinking. And King Saka went on, I think you must be hungry as well. You know, could we offer you uh, maybe some pizza? Our Italian devas can prepare wonderful pizza. <laughs> or do you rather like some Swiss chocolate? We have uh, Swiss chocolate directly imported. You know, it's the best one. <laughs> 
And so King Saka went on and on, and the demon was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, until there was this tiny little demon sitting there on the throne, and then with one last kind word of King Saka, the demon dissolved. So, these are some of the ways of how to deal with negativity. And um, I hope that one of these ways is always the appropriate one that you can use in meditation practice or in your day-to-day life. So may all of you be able to overcome all of your negativity, fill your mind with wholesome, beautiful mental states, and become fully liberated. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.